This is 8 Minutes, a podcast helping you understand the energy transition in just a few minutes. I'm your host, Paul Schuster. The eyes of the climate world were on Egypt as COP27 met in the resort town of Sharm el-Sheikh recently. So what exactly is a COP? And after two weeks of meetings and negotiations, did anything useful come out of this conference? Lots of contradicting opinions on how successful these worldwide summits have been. COP21 gave us the Paris Agreement, but how successful has that been so far? So let's get into it and dissect the outcomes from the latest conference of parties. Eight minutes. It's how long it takes the sun's rays to reach Earth, or about how much time Elon Musk got to enjoy his purchase of Twitter. Let's get it on. COP. Conference of Parties. There have been 27 of them, the latest in Egypt. These are big deals, kind of like the Oscars of the climate world. The United Nations hosts the event every year, and delegates, government officials, NGOs, climate activists, and corporate sustainability teams converge to hash out the latest on global cooperation around climate change. Sometimes, these events produce breakthrough policies that resonate globally. The 1997 COP produced the Kyoto Protocol, the first global treaty holding countries accountable for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. But the Kyoto Protocol only required the wealthiest of industrialized nations to comply, while developing countries such as China and Brazil could voluntarily curb emissions. That didn't sit well with the George W. Bush administration in the U.S., and the then-president refused to ratify the agreement. As a result, the following years were a mess in terms of international climate negotiations, with this push-pull between developed and developing nations hanging like a cloud over all of it. In 2009, there was some hope that a successor to the Kyoto Protocol could be established, but talks broke down and the resultant Copenhagen Accord, which was championed by the U.S., only garnered five signatures, and it wasn't even legally binding as it was. It was a weak successor to a weak agreement to begin with. Fast forward to 2015 and COP21 in Paris. It was here that negotiations finally resumed some momentum. A breakthrough occurred when both the United States and China, which together represented about 40% of global emissions, agreed to ratify what became known as the Paris Agreement. Eventually, 194 countries would sign on to that agreement. Now, there's no doubt that Paris was a huge accomplishment in mobilizing and directing global action towards climate change, but the efficacy of the agreement has been debated ever since. For one thing, the Paris Agreement is a voluntary accord, where countries choose their own emission reduction targets and are individually responsible as to whether they meet those targets or not. In climate talk, those targets are called Nationally Determined Contributions, or NDCs. But while Paris galvanized the world on climate activity, the lack of any legal commitment kind of made the whole thing, well, a little bit toothless. And apparently, it was super easy for countries to duck out of the agreement if a new administration decided to go in a different direction. Exhibit 1 being the Trump administration withdrawing from the Paris Agreement in 2017, only for Biden to reinsert the U.S. in 2021. So if Paris has been the crowning achievement of the cops, and it took 21 years for the globe to finally agree on a voluntary, non-binding, easily dismissed agreement, the question has to be asked, is it worth it or not? Advocates will argue that the cops have been incredibly effective. 
It's been able to streamline global focus on the issue of climate change. It's brought bitter geopolitical enemies together under one banner to fight for transition. And it's at least set some cursory goals that are broadcast and publicized to start bending that emissions curve downward. Perhaps it's too much to ask for countries to sign up for more. Setting global binding reductions may be what is needed, but it simply may be too impractical to expect in reality. So, keep moving the dial, and we're now closing the chapter on COP27 in Egypt. And that question about whether any of this has been valuable or not still hangs over the proceedings. So instead of banging their heads against the wall around binding cuts or legal frameworks, this COP ended up taking a slightly different approach. COP27 focused on the wealth disparity between the developed and developing nations. Sure, it's great that developing nations and smaller countries have committed to reductions, but there has always been a rather uncomfortable question lingering in the background. Well, we wouldn't be in the place if the US and Europe hadn't been burning fossil fuels for centuries. That helped them grow economically. Why can't we? COP27 set out to start to tackle that question, and they did so through something called a loss and damage fund. The concept is, wealthier nations would contribute dollars to a fund that would then provide financial assistance to poorer countries more at risk to climate change. This was the big headline coming out of Egypt, and assuming actual dollars are contributed, could be a much more material result than any of the non-binding agreements that have come before. But this is where the COP is now. We've set voluntary commitments towards emission cuts and have turned attention to how to properly finance and support less wealthy countries. Not a bad outcome, but one that seems a little anticlimactic given the urgent need to drive carbon completely out of the global economy. In fact, going into Egypt, there was some dispute over what the COP was even intended to accomplish to begin with. Many wealthy nations wanted to focus on phasing out fossil fuels and putting renewable energy at the forefront of new commitments, while developing countries wanted more of this focus on financing. By doing so, the latest COP didn't accomplish much more on the underlying emissions issue than what had already been established at Glasgow the year before. So then, what about next year, when the next COP will be held in Dubai? For many, COP27 was simply a stepping stone to the big report expected at COP28. One of the outcomes of Paris was that a global stock take of how countries are doing and meeting their Paris commitments, that stock take needs to be done every five years. And next year's Dubai meeting will be a fascinating critical snapshot of how the world's doing in stepping up to those voluntary commitments, especially at a time when the war in Ukraine is causing such deep disruptions to the global energy supply. The hope is that Dubai will be able to further enhance the individual commitments of each country, showcase the progress made to this point, and put the final touches on the funding apparatus laid out here at COP27. Overall, the UN's Conference of Parties has been a mixed bag of results. While it's encouraging to see the global cooperation and momentum towards climate change activity occurring, the reality is is that everything is still a voluntary effort. Whether we're succeeding at meeting those voluntary goals or not is still kind of unknown. Hopefully next year, we'll have a better sense as to whether we're getting there. Progress may be slow, but it is happening. I'm Paul Schuster, and this has been your 8 Minutes. Thank you.